0: open up to Revelation chapter 9. Uh, it's going to come up behind me, uh, and it'll also be on your screen as well. Uh, we're going to read this together, then we're going to sing, um, and then we're going to come to consider this passage together. Revelation, you um, be good to have it open in front of you. Um, I hope as we read through that chapter just a moment ago, um, you were perhaps captured by uh, the, 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 the very essence of this chapter in, in what it's saying. Um, it's a really Uh, sombering passage in many ways as we think about the events that are in the fifth and the sixth trumpet. It's a very difficult passage uh, to read and to think about. It's a very difficult passage to preach. Um, But I I do pray that we will will see something fresh from God's word this this evening, that we will see the the, the reality of this passage, but that also as a church, as Christians, we will see the encouragement and challenge uh, that comes uh, from it. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come um, before you now as we come to consider this chapter in Revelation. Uh, We have to be honest. I have to be honest. I don't fully understand all that is going on in this passage. And yet you revealed this to us. So that as we read it, as we study it, it might be a blessing to us. And so I do pray this evening that you would open up my heart. You would open up all of our hearts as we come to consider this chapter that is before us. And may you help us to see the real, the gravity of this passage, the, the truths and the realities that we see within it. But Lord, help us to also be encouraged as Christians, as those who belong to Christ. May we see something fresh of Jesus tonight. May we come to a fresh understanding even that we know that as Christians that Jesus is reigning and Jesus has won. We know the end of the story. But help us, Lord, to live faithfully as we come uh, to, to consider this passage. May you speak to us, Lord, we pray. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the worst time of day for me is right at the very beginning. Um, If you know anything about me, I'm not a morning person. And what makes those moments even worse is that feeling you get when you're you're lying there in bed and you can hear the alarm going off. It seems to go off without end. And it's the reminder to you that your sleep is over and it is time to get out of bed, And unless you're one of those really strange people who just love mornings, who wake up happy and smiling, my guess is that you don't really like that morning wake-up call that you receive from your alarm. It's inconvenient. It's disruptive. It means you need to change from that vertical position to a horizontal position. And quite frankly, in that moment, you're just not ready for it. But the alarm continues to sound. None of us really, if we're honest, like wake-up calls, do we? whether it be in the morning or at any time in our lives. We all have those moments when life as we know it is disrupted. We're stopped in our tracks. We're caused to to ponder, to think, to question, maybe even to cry. Those moments might be inconvenient. They might be when we least expect them. They might disrupt the plans that you have for the day, but nevertheless, the alarm sounds, the situation happens, and we face the reality. This evening, as we come to Revelation 9, we continue to look at these trumpet blasts from heaven, which, as we said last week, and as we're going to be reminded again today, are warning, wake-up calls from God to a world that has turned its back on him. Tonight, we come to the fifth and the sixth Trumpet. The fifth or the sixth trumpet do not make for pleasant reading. They're shocking, maybe even a little bit frightening as we really contemplate what's going on here. Primarily they're frightening really for people who in this very moment, at this very moment in time, do not belong to God. Those who are not following Jesus. And they might be shocking for us as Christians as we read these things, and yet we are reminded that these trumpet blasts are given to those who are without Christ. But yet even so, as a church, as Christians, these trumpet blasts are not just for us to, to be ignored because we know that we're, we're safe. They do give us a challenge and an encouragement as we come to consider these things. So just before we get into um, these two trumpets that we're looking at today, the fifth and the sixth, I want to just uh, take a little bit of a step back just to set the scene for these fifth and sixth trumpet. And to do that, we need to just jump back to Revelation 8 verse 13. After that fourth trumpet sounds, we we see, depending on the translation, you're using an eagle or an angel that cries out three words. They're the same word, the word woe. And that, those three words, woe, 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 really set into motion these last three trumpets, two of which we're going to look at this evening. Why does the angel cry out these three woes? Because, it, because of the last three trumpet blasts that are about to sound. Each one of these final trumpet blasts represents one of those woes that the angel cries You'll notice if you looked at the notice sheet, I've called tonight like hell on earth. And really, I think that summarizes trumpets five and six. It's a picture, in a way, of hell being unleashed on earth, that partial withdrawal of the hand of mercy of God as, as he gives people over to the desires of their hearts. So let's dive in. I'm, I'm, I don't really have a structure other than the two trumpets that we're going to look at, but let's just dive in and just pull out some of these things. You might have noticed there's so much detail going on in, the, in this chapter. We're not going to be able to look at it all, but I hope we we'll be able to bring out some key things that will help us think about these things and give us food for thought as we go away from the service this evening. John, hears this fifth trumpet blast. And what does he see? We read there in verse 9, As the fifth angel sounded, John sees a star fallen from heaven to the earth. As with many of these things, there's much debate about who or what this star uh, represents as this star is seen falling from heaven. For me, this star represents Satan. Luke ten eighteen, John says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And to him we read is given the key to the bottomless pit or the abyss, as we might say. What is the point that we need to see as we come to this fifth trumpet The key point that we need to see is that Satan is given permission from Jesus to open up the bottomless pit. And God permits, as it were, all hell to break free, all evil to break free, to be let loose on the earth under his ultimate authority. And about you, as we come to think about that, maybe for you, you struggle to kind of come to terms with that. Maybe you begin to think, well, why on earth would God allow Satan to have that permission? You know, I thought God was a God of love who didn't want anyone to perish and that he's patient with the lost. Why on earth would God allow that permission? Why would God allow all these things to be unleashed on the earth? But the more we think about that, the more we have to come to terms with the fact that that really isn't the question to ask, is it? Isn't the real question, isn't the real wonder of this chapter why God doesn't just wipe us all out from the very beginning? Isn't the wonder of this chapter why God chooses to time limit the fifth trumpet? You see, we don't deserve God's patience. We don't deserve God's grace and mercy. And yet, he is merciful to sinful people. And so we see as Satan opens this bottomless pit, we see this great plume of smoke uh, that blasts from this abyss or this bottomless pit. And it's greater than that of a volcano. This smoke, as it, as it pours out, John maybe even could see the glow of the furnace in this vision. In 2010, you might remember the Icelandic volcano that, that erupted without much warning. So great was the explosion and the eruption, so vast was the ash cloud that it disrupted much of the international travel in that area but here in Revelation as this bottomless pit is opened as we see that vision uh, open there this explosion of smoke that comes from it was so great that the light from the sun and the whole air was darkened that great light of the sun turned into complete darkness just from the smoke that emerges from the pit But the smoke isn't the worst part of this trumpet, is it? What is even worse is what comes out of the smoke. We read there that these locusts suddenly appear from in the midst of the smoke. I don't know if you've ever seen a a locust swarm in real life. I, I must admit I haven't. But I'm told that if you are in that swarm, it is so thick that you cannot see a thing. If you were to be driving and you were to be engulfed with one of these swarms of locusts, you would have to stop until the swarm passes. And if you'd have been in that moment, one moment you would see greenery, you would see trees, you would see fields, you would see grass. And in in the blink of an eye, in the moment, you would see a colourless scenery as the locusts have devoured and destroyed all that was in their path. Every green and living thing is gone. But you'll notice that these locusts are different. There is something significantly different about these locusts. We see something of the power of, a, of the locust plague there in Egypt when they, they get sent on, on, on Pharaoh. We see something of a description of the, the, these locusts in the end times in Joel's prophecy in chapter 1. But you see, these are the locusts from the bottomless pit. These are the demonic locusts from, that have been released from this pit. And they are given three commands here in Revelation 9. Verse 4, do not harm the grass, the trees, or any green thing. That is unusual. Locusts normally attack those things. Rather, they are to harm those who do not belong to God. Secondly, they are only to harm and torment, not to kill. Verse 5. And thirdly, this torment is time-limited. Hell is released on earth but with limited power under strict control and authority from heaven. And to the ungodly, they will experience this temporary power-restricted torment. And yet we're told they will not experience death. I think that's both a blessing and a curse, by the way. It is a blessing because their life is spared. In other words, there is still time to repent. There is still time to come to Jesus. But it is a curse because the torment, even though time limited, is so painful that people would rather die. And yet we read verse 6, that in that moment, death itself will flee from them and perhaps that leaves you thinking well what on earth does this torment look like how bad can this torment be if people desire death and yet that will not be a reality well john tells us three times in this chapter as he something of that torment as he gives us these image of these scorpions These locusts, verse 3, have power like scorpions have on earth. In other words, to destroy and to devour. Their torment will be like that of a scorpion when it strikes a man, verse 5. And those locusts which have the appearance of horses prepared for battle had tails like scorpions. With a sting in their tail to hurt man for five months, verse 10. I don't know if you've ever seen a scorpion. O told me this week that he used to play with scorpions when he was younger. Um, there you go. Um, but I don't know if you've ever experienced a scorpion. I don't know if you've ever been stung by a scorpion. Um, I, I hope John O didn't get stung by a scorpion, but maybe he did. I don't know. Um, but I saw a few whilst I was there in the, in, in the US, but thankfully I've never been stung by one. But apparently, according to people that are far more knowledgeable on these things than me, the sting of a scorpion is one of the most agonising pains that an animal can give to a human. I think that's something why John perhaps uses this imagery of the scorpion. And apparently if someone was to get the full blast of a scorpion poison, the pain would be so bad that they would end up rolling around on the floor in agony. They would be foaming at the mouth and they would be grinding their teeth together. Such is the pain that a sting of a scorpion brings. And here we see these locusts described like scorpions that are similar to those on earth, but in many ways much different. They swarm wherever they desire to go, and yet they do not destroy the crops. They torment the ungodly. Their sting and their poison bring such agony like that inflicted by a scorpion. And this goes on for five months with no relief. Is it any wonder why we read that people will desire death and death itself will flee? You see, they have over them, they have ruling over them, the king of the abyss. The angel of the abyss, verse 11. And with Satan ruling over them, they're they're set on one thing, to destroy. See, that is Satan's only purpose in this world, isn't it? To destroy everything and anything he is able to. So who are, or what are, these horse-like locusts with scorpion tendencies? It is the question, perhaps, that helps us I guess try and figure out what's going on in this passage. You know, this week I've I've been trying to figure out how how to make sense of this. Now, you see, I believe that these trumpets, one to five, are already happening. I believe they're happening in the world today. And so for that reason, I believe that you can see the effects of these first five trumpets uh, out in our world today. So on that basis, I would see these locusts As representing the powers of hell, the powers of evil in the hearts of the ungodly. Maybe also partly the evil that perhaps we see in ourselves at times. Here are evil forces that rob people of anything good, and it brings excruciating pain into the world. Great fear, great terror. And we see that, don't we? We only have to turn on our news screens and we see some of that reality. We witness and experience the sinful, evil rebellion that's in the world. And we see shocking stories of murders, of rapes, of child abusers, sexual crimes, terror activities, serial killers, an innocent PCSO out walking her dog, brutally murdered. Millions of Jews in the Second World War, killed. Charity and aid workers beheaded by terrorists. A family doctor in the 90s who systematically killed over 250 patients. There is evil upon evil, there is wickedness upon wickedness, and it quite frankly goes beyond our imagination sometimes. And maybe we say, Oh, how on earth can anyone do these things? Maybe as we maybe we don't even watch the news for that reason. Because the evil that we see in the world just overwhelms us. See, the truth is, people say that I'm better off without God. People in the world say, Well, actually, my life is better without him, because I can do what I like. But that's the problem, isn't it? What happens when we remove God from the picture? What happens when we move God from our lives and we say we can do whatever we want? It's anything but better. What happens is people kill. People abuse. People commit all sorts of crimes. The wickedness of our hearts comes out. Sin pounces. It grows. It destroys you see, this world doesn't need less of God and more education. It doesn't need less of God and more science. What this world needs is Jesus. What this world needs more than anything is a mighty, powerful outworking of the Holy Spirit. And here in this fifth trumpet, the stench of hell, as it were, is let out. And it pollutes nation after nation until it corrupts the whole world. And it fills people with a deep sense of utter hopelessness. In those days, people will desire death, but death will run from them. Of course, the encouragement for us as Christians comes in the form that God has time-limited this. One day God has promised that all evil will be gone, all evil will be dealt with, all evil on this earth will have its day. The truth is it might get much worse. We might face a lot more difficult times coming forward. But the promise of God is secure and it is sure. That one day God will say enough. One day God will say it's enough. That is it. But the problem is that gives us a warning as well, doesn't it? That if tonight you are without Christ... When God says enough, that is it. A day is coming when it will be too late. We experience in this world today the warning blast from heaven. These first five trumpets are God declaring to a sinful world that one day final judgment is coming. And the question that leaves us with is on that day where will you stand? I don't know what you're going through right now, but maybe, maybe you're here or you're listening in and you're not a Christian and you're going through things in your life. Maybe things don't quite make sense. Maybe life isn't going to plan for you. Maybe you're feeling hopeless. Maybe you're stuck in the depths of despair. Maybe you think like there is absolutely nothing to live for in this world. Maybe tonight God is shouting out to you. Maybe he's trying to wake you up Turn your heart to the things of God. see, God in his mercy is patient with the lost. He gives warning after warning. He gives opportunity after opportunity to turn to him and be saved. But the truth is, one day Jesus is coming back. And when he does, no one will be able to stand before Jesus and say, if only I knew. If only someone had told me. If only someone had warned me. The warning is right here before us. And God Himself sends us the warnings to wake us up to the realities and to look to Him. Well, John says there in verse 12 one worry is past, but look, there are two more coming. And these final two are worse than the fifth, the fifth is worse than the first four. But with that, John hears the sixth trumpet sound. And John hears this voice from the four horns of the golden altar. What are we to make of verse 13? Well, again, I think there are a number of ways to look at it, but can I just present this to you as we try and understand this imagery? Four stands for completeness. The horns represent the power. The golden altar represents God's presence. So in other words, what we see as we begin this sixth trumpet is the completeness of God's power worked out coming from his presence as it begins to be exercised through the prayers of the saints. And the sixth trumpet begins with that command to release those four angels that are bound at the river Euphrates. That's not a literal place. They're not literally bound at the river Euphrates. It's a picture of Babylon, Assyria, the nations that are around the river, the picture of wickedness. And it prepares us for the battle that we will see a bit later in the sixth bowl. But you see, the key thing to notice is that these fallen angels have been bound by God against their will. But nevertheless, prepared by God for what is about to happen. They have been prepared to be released at a specific hour, day, month and year. I don't want us to miss the detail that we see there. There is a reason for that detail. There's a reason why John gives us that specific detail. It is to remind us that God is in full control to the very detail of all these events. He prepared, he allowed these angels to be released and he permitted the purpose for which they are to be released. What is that purpose? To kill a third of mankind. This is war past, present, future. This is reflecting and pointing to a greater wars as we get towards the end of time. And yet again, perhaps we're left thinking, what's going on here? Why would God prepare these angels for such a thing? Why would God allow evil to have its day? Why would God allow a third of all mankind to be wiped out through these evil ways? Maybe if that's how you feel tonight, maybe... Maybe you don't understand, maybe I don't understand the seriousness of our sin and the punishment that we all rightly deserve. R.C. Sproul was once asked at a conference if if the punishment that Adam and Eve received from God as they sinned in the garden was too severe. I can't give you all of his answer. It was quite an interesting answer. But one of the things he said was this. The problem with the Christian Church is that we don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. If we have any understanding of who we are before God, then the question should not be, was it was, it, was God too severe? The question should be, why was not God not more severe? And tonight, if we have any understanding of who we are before God, if we have any understanding of our sin, And the punishment that we deserve. Then we should not be shocked by these trumpet blasts. Rather as Christians it should cause us to be ever more thankful. That somehow God in his mercy and grace. Provided a way for you and I to be saved. Provided a way for us to be spared the coming judgment of God. And if you are not a believer here this evening. He has provided that same way for you if you will just turn to him the key thing is these fallen angels are released according to God's sovereign timetable and rightfully we say well this imagery is frightening these four angels that are released to go out have power over these ungodly spiritual forces that we see here pictured as these mighty a mighty army of horsemen again don't miss the detail that's here in this in this in this section john hears the size of this mighty Demonic army. 200 million we read in our version. If you take it back to the, to the Greek, twice 10,000s ten of 10,000. And their purpose is to destroy. And if you can't picture that number tonight, then you've hit the nail right on the head. We're not supposed to. It is an, an unnumberable number of horsemen. And we see that description there of them in verse, seven, verse 17 which we don't have time to go into. But the key thing we need to notice from these these, uh, horsemen as they go out is what comes out of their mouths. They bring forth three plagues. These three plagues come in the form of fire, smoke, and brimstone. It's a picture of hell, isn't it? It's a picture of judgment. Interestingly, the only time these three Things are mentioned together in the Old Testament is back at Sodom and Gomorrah. That wicked city that God destroyed because of their sin. It's a picture of judgment. And yet, the most staggering thing we're told in verses 20 to 21 is that the remainder of mankind, those who were not killed, did not repent. I noticed something this week in, the study, in, my, in my studies. Notice what they did not repent of. They did not repent of their sins against God or their sins against mankind. The first part there in verse 20 is idolatry. The first part of the Ten Commandments. The second half is the sins against people the second half of the Ten Commandments. This is all-encompassing. This is complete ungodliness, and they will not repent. It's just like the plagues in Egypt, isn't it? They were sent as warnings. But what did it cause? Pharaoh to harden his own heart. Of course, some may turn and repent, but they're only small in number. And as shocking as that might be, isn't that the truth that we see in the world today? We've just been through 18 months of a COVID pandemic. And maybe you've said throughout this time, surely people will turn to God. Surely people will be awakened to the things of God. During the world wars, churches were packed as people flocked to churches. And we say, surely people will turn to God. We talk to people who are unwell, who are grieving maybe even on their deathbed, and we say, surely they will see. Surely they will turn to God. But often they don't. See, when people face difficult circumstances and tough times, they might show some interest in God. They might attend church, but often their hearts are not truly changed. Once they're the other side of whatever's going on, life seems to go back to normal. You know, we had people at the beginning of the first lockdown message us uh, as a church and say, we're listening in, we-, we need to be listening to church, we need to be part of church ever more at this time. I wonder if they're still listening. Do people still need the church? Do people still need God? See, what this world needs more than ever is a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see, the truth is God does use disasters, circumstances, to bring people to him. But we do need to see, we do need to remember that these trumpet blasts, these judgments, even, even though partial, these warnings in and of themselves do not change people's hearts. Great revivals don't happen because we face a national or international disaster. Great revivals happen Because the Holy Spirit is poured out. People don't turn to God because we've had mass calamities. People turn to God because the Holy Spirit opens up their hearts. And therefore, we don't put our hope in people's circumstances. We don't sit there and say, Well, if only they, if only they were to to, to go through this, they might turn to God. If only they were to see something of the reality of death, maybe they would turn to God. That isn't what happens. People turn to God because the Holy Spirit opens up their hearts. And so we don't put our hope in those things. Rather, we pray that God, by his Spirit, would so work in their lives and open up their hearts to him. And of course, as Christians, we mustn't lose heart. We must not give up praying for our loved ones. We mustn't give up praying for justice. We mustn't give up praying for the persecuted church. We must not give up praying that God's kingdom would come. Of course we don't we need to do that ever more and we need to be ever more on our knees as we see some of the realities that we see here in these warnings. God whispers in our pleasures and shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to a world that isn't listening. And tonight, God is sounding a wake-up call to a world that isn't listening. And maybe tonight that's you. Maybe tonight you do not belong to God. You are not a Christian. Life, you think, is going perfectly well and you're quite happy without him. But if we understand anything from these trumpets, if we understand anything from Revelation 9, the warning is, do not ignore them. If that is you, do not ignore them. The answers to the biggest questions of your life, the answers to the biggest questions Of trying to make sense of what's going on in this world can only be found at the foot of the cross. And the call tonight is for you to wake up, get up, and turn to Him. And if you do, you will be spared that coming judgment that these warnings point to and will one day result in. Maybe you're a Christian and you're just trying to make sense of all the things that are going on in this world. Maybe your heart grieves at the godlessness that you see in this world. Maybe you wonder, where is this all gonna end? How bad is this all gonna get? Maybe tonight you feel like your prayers are just being unanswered. Maybe you feel like they're, they're, they're falling on deaf ears. Maybe you feel like your prayers are somehow lost in the corridors of heaven. You know, You pray for loved ones for years and years and years and nothing. You pray for justice, you pray for peace, You pray for healing and yet nothing. The encouragement and the challenge from Revelation 9 is we keep on praying. Maybe God is waiting for just the right time to pour out his prayers, your prayers, and to bring about the renewal of all things. The truth is, your prayers for justice might be answered at the final judgment. Your prayers for peace as Jesus reigns. Your prayers for healing in your resurrected body. And your prayers for joy as you are seated around the wedding feast of the Lamb. I wonder as you reflect on these things, can you say tonight, truthfully say tonight, it is well with my soul. Not because your circumstances Are good, not because life is going well, not because you've made sense of everything that's going on in this world, not even because your prayers have been answered in the way that you desire, but that you can say it is well, because you know God's sovereign plans are shaped by your prayers, and because you can rejoice tonight if you are a Christian in knowing that God has won and Christ prevails. Father, help us to make sense of as much as we can what's going on here. We know that we live in a broken and sinful and messed up world. And we know, and we feel it ourselves, the grief that that brings us. And we know the reality of the struggles that we face as sometimes we just feel like we're praying and praying and praying and nothing happens. It grieves our hearts when we think of those whom we love, who in this very moment are without Christ, and if Christ was to return, we'd be facing that judgment. Help us, Lord, as Christians, to be ever more burdened in prayer, to be persistent, to be purposeful. As we come before you, As we pray for all these things, help us to look to you, help us to know and truly know that Jesus prevails and that you have won, but Lord help those who are here tonight, those who might listen in, who as it stands do not know you, speak to their hearts, Lord we pray. May they heed the warnings that you have given. And may you open up hearts. May you pour out your spirit afresh and change hearts. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.